Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom. A lot to talk about again this week. We've got another batch of college football playoff rankings out. Uh, basketball season started with a crazy game on Tuesday night, but another interesting game for Ohio State this past weekend at Nebraska. Another big game coming up this week against Purdue. We'll talk about the matchup with the Boilermakers coming up here shortly. But to start with the game against Nebraska, a game that, as you mentioned to me during the game, Griffin, was eerily similar to the previous game against Penn State as the offense struggled to finish off drives again. Once again, Ohio State wins the game by exactly nine points, this time 26 to 17 as once again, Ohio State had to turn to Noah Ruggles to make four field goals that ultimately made the difference in this game. Yeah, the offense only had two touchdowns once again, and this was actually the lowest offensive output of the season in terms of points for Ohio State. I want to say their last nine drives, they failed to punch in a touchdown. And yeah, a lot of similarities from the last game. I I was on record saying that I thought the offensive performances from Ohio State would kind of average out from what we had seen against Penn State versus what we'd seen in the several games prior when they looked unstoppable on offense. I did not expect to have almost an exact repeat performance of the Penn State game against Nebraska, which was a tough opponent. We have to give Nebraska credit. But I think now we're starting to see that this could be something of a trend for Ohio State, given that they they proved it wasn't just one off night. Yeah, when you see that happen once, you know, I, I think we said last week, We didn't want to overreact to the struggles in the red zone, the struggles to run the ball, because those hadn't been patterns in the first seven games of the season. So you never want to overreact to just one game. But now we've seen these things repeat themselves two games in a row. And and like you said, I certainly didn't expect that they would score less points against Nebraska than they did against Penn State. And give Nebraska credit, they're they're a much better team than their 3-7 and record indicates. They have a good defense, and Ohio State's not the only team that it's held well below its scoring average this year. I think they limited Oklahoma and Michigan State to both 23 points. They limited Michigan to 29 points, I believe. So Nebraska's played good defense against top competition, and so uh, give them credit. They're a good defense. But at the same time, you know, we were two weeks ago when we were talking about this Ohio State offense, we were talking about a unit that looked almost unstoppable that in three games in a row basically never got stopped while CJ Stroud was on the field. And now we've seen in two weeks in a row, as they've started going up against better defenses that they certainly haven't looked anything close to unstoppable. And the two, the two recurring trends really that we've seen are struggling to run the ball Ohio State had only 90 rushing yards on 30 attempts against Nebraska on Saturday. That was the first time since the Purdue game in 2018 that Ohio State was held under 100 rushing yards. So certainly those are alarming numbers there. And then again, in the red zone, Ohio State went just one for free. If I remember correctly, I think it was something like nine drives that went past midfield for Ohio State against Nebraska and the Buckeyes only turned those into two touchdowns. So certainly this offense has taken a step back and I think there's probably a few different factors that you can point to with that. Ohio State didn't have Garrett Wilson against Nebraska. I think that made an impact, but you know, I think one thing that certainly has appeared to be the case in the last couple of games is the offensive line just hasn't been getting the same kind of push that it was getting in the run game. Ohio State's also had a lot of issues with penalties, which is something Ryan Day has harped on a lot in the last couple of weeks. And we've seen the Buckeyes get off schedule. They had to pass the ball 54 times uh, against Nebraska. And what looked to be a well-oiled machine just a couple of weeks ago, in the past couple of games, things have been a, a, a lot more up and down a lot more of a roller coaster on that side of the ball. Dan, if you look back at the last four games now for Ohio state, 
Ohio State has has not hit the 200-yard benchmark in the running game for the past four games straight. So we're really talking about the last two games in which it's been very obvious that Ohio State has struggled to run the ball. But it actually has been a little bit of a trend over a longer sample size that Ohio State has struggled to hit a mark that I think they would like to probably hit every game, that 200 yards uh, per game for the the run game. But also, of course, the the decision-making of C.J. Stroud will definitely come into question after that Nebraska performance, he threw two interceptions. That was his first and second interception since week three. He had not turned the ball over before this game. One of those interceptions in particular was a pretty bad decision. I think you could objectively say he kind of forced the ball into, into double coverage downfield in pressure. I think, like you said, the offensive line had a lot to do with that. And the fact that CJ Stroud was forced to have to make a lot more decisions, given the fact that he threw the ball 54 times, But Dan, if we want to jump right into this hot topic with the fans right now, because I know a lot of fans are chomping at the bit to discuss this. One thing that will be discussed about his decision-making was why we are not seeing CJ Stroud run all more often because we saw him flush out of the pocket a lot more in this game. There might've been a couple plays in which he could have tried to use his feet to, to make things happen down the field. Like we've seen with Justin Fields so often in the past couple of years. But I don't know, Dan, do you think this is a, a real concern or a bit of an overblown criticism? I know you just wrote a, a whole piece on this on uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, this has been probably the complaint I've heard the most repeatedly from fans here over the last couple of weeks is, you know, CJ Shroud's not running the ball enough. You know, we, why isn't he Why isn't he taking off? Why isn't he, you know, gaining these easy first downs with his legs? And I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. You know, I, I do... I, I think one thing that Ohio State fans need to accept is that the offense that you saw the last couple of years with Justin Fields might not be an offense that you see in Ohio State in the near future. Like every Ohio State quarterback is not going to be Justin Fields. And if you look at the quarterbacks that Ryan Day has recruited, you look at the four guys on the roster right now, those being CJ Stroud, Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, and Quinny Ors, none of those guys are are really runners. I mean, they all can run, but none of those guys are Justin Fields. So Ryan day is not building his roster to have a major run threat from the quarterback position. He's not building his offense to, to be heavy on the quarterback run. And so I think that's one thing Ohio state fans need to accept is that if you're going to expect CJ Stroud or any of these quarterbacks on the roster to be Justin Fields. That's probably not going to happen because that's not really their skill sets. Now, with that being said, I think it is a valid question to look at some of these plays where it appears that Stroud has had room to run, where he's continued to keep his eyes downfield and then, you know, force the ball into coverage where you could say, okay, maybe this, maybe this isn't the, you know, maybe he's not making the smartest decisions on these plays. Maybe, uh, maybe he should be looking uh, to take those yards when he has them. You know, we saw on one of the first plays of his entire Ohio state career against Michigan state last year, he ran for a 48 yard touchdown. So he seemingly does have the ability to make some plays with his legs one thing that Kevin Wilson said on Tuesday is that they haven't called many run plays for him because of the shoulder injury that he suffered against Minnesota. And I, I certainly do imagine that that could be playing into CJ Stroud's line of thinking there of a, he he took a hit on that shoulder in the first game of a season and he got hurt. So he's trying to protect himself. He doesn't necessarily want to put himself in harm's way. And so I don't know if there's a mental block there. You know, when, when CJ has been asked about it after the last couple of games, he's been pretty dismissive of the idea that he should be running the ball more. He's said that, you know, he thinks he's making the right decisions and running the plays that they're, they're calling for him. And I think he had the quote after the Nebraska game, that if I, if my job was to run the ball, I'd be a running back. And so I, I don't know that it's in his mindset that he should be running the ball more and, I don't think it's at least at least publicly, because, again, you know, we have to always remember these conversations that 
they don't want to give away the game plan. So who knows? They could call 10 runs for CJ Stroud this week. They're not going to tell us that because they don't want Purdue to know that. But I don't get the impression that the coaches necessarily want to see him run more. Like I think back to 2018 when Dwayne Haskins was the quarterback and Urban Meyer would constantly in, in press conferences say, you know, we need Dwayne to run the ball more. We need Dwayne to, you know, get tough and run the ball more. You know, that, that was Urban Meyer. Ur- Urban Meyer definitely wanted his quarterbacks to be a threat of a run game. I don't know how concerned Ryan day is about that. I, I think Ryan day generally wants his quarterbacks to be looking downfield and, and trying to make a throw on pass plays. I don't think he wants them to be looking to, you know, drop their eyes and, and run the ball quickly, but I do think there's a balance there of, okay, there might be some plays where CJ should consider tucking the ball and, you know, running for yardage, especially if he's got green grass in front of him where, you know, he could potentially get the first down or even, you know, get some yards before going out of bounds to keep Ohio state on schedule. I I do think it's, it's fair to look at some of those plays and think, okay, maybe he should be running the ball a little bit more, but I also think that if, if Ohio state fans, you know, the Ohio state fans who want CJ Stroud to be benched because he's not running the ball enough, or who think that, you know, Quinn Ewers is going to come in and suddenly be Justin Fields 2.0. I think those Ohio State fans need to be more realistic with their expectations because, uh, for one, uh, C.J. Stroud is is nowhere near being benched or being told to go to the transfer portal, as some uh, people I have seen say on Twitter. And two, I just don't think that, you know, the, the future of this offense is going to B1, as long as Ryan Day's the coach, where quarterback run becomes a major element of the offense. You mentioned Ryan Day's play calling, Kevin Wilson's play calling as well. That's another thing, Dan, that, that came into question a little bit in that Nebraska game. One play in particular we'll talk about here is that in the fourth quarter, Ohio State clinging onto a six-point lead late, actually had success running the ball by the end of the game with uh, less than two minutes to go in the game, I believe. On first down, Day elects to drop C.J. Stroud back and actually throw the ball, which a lot of fans were like, what is Ohio State doing? Let's run out the clock here. Because what happened was C.J. Stroud was strip-sacked on the play, which could have been an absolutely disastrous play at that moment for Ohio State. Fortunately for the Buckeyes, second-year center Luke Whipler comes up with the fumble and saves the day for Ohio State. Noah Ruggles goes on to kick a field goal to essentially ice the game. But a lot of people were, were wondering right after the game, why is, is Ryan Day trying to pass the ball in that situation? And then when you look at the numbers afterwards, you see C.J. Stroud's thrown the ball 54 times with only 30 rush attempts. And the question becomes, is Ryan Day too reliant on the pass? Are they not trying to run the ball enough? And is Ryan Day's play calling possibly getting in the way, maybe, of more offensive success for Ohio State? What say you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, we're, we're in a situation here of where the, the questions are somewhat valid, but also, you know, not, not to the extremes that some fans want to take them. I mean, again, you'll see some stuff out there saying, you know, Ryan Day has no idea what he's doing. Ryan Day is clueless. Ryan Day is one of the best offensive minds in college football. I think anybody who's looking at the situation objectively can can see that just based on what he's accomplished throughout his time at Ohio State so far. I mean, again, the offense is still ranked second in the country in both points and yards per game this year. So acting like, you know, there's suddenly a crisis with this offense that like he has no idea what he's doing or that, you know, CJ Stroud is is not a good quarterback, stuff like that. I mean, all of that is is overreactions. It, it's ridiculous to, to make comments like that. With that being said, when you look at, you know, 54 passing attempts to 30 rushing attempts, I don't think that's ever ideal. Ryan, Ryan Day will admit that himself. And, you know, I think the question is, you know, there was a lot of people saying, well, they should have run the ball more. They should have run the ball more against Nebraska. I don't completely disagree but they averaged three yards per carry against Nebraska. So the run game wasn't working. And so they kind of had to pass the ball more 
I don't think they necessarily wanted to run the ball more. I think they kind of had to run the ball more or pass the ball more, excuse me, because, you know, Nebraska was, was stacking a box. They were trying to stop the run and it was working. Ohio state wasn't having much success at all running the ball. And so I, I do believe day when, when he says, you know, we're, we're always going to call the, the, the plays that we think are best in that situation. And I think we've seen that work well for Ohio state before. And we've seen, and at times it backfires. I mean, I think we've seen plenty of examples over years of Ryan day making aggressive play calls that have worked. And when that works, you never get questioned for it. Like I think back to the, the Clemson game and 2019, which Ohio State obviously didn't win, but they go for it on fourth down and they take a shot to the end zone for a touchdown. And if that doesn't work, he's getting questioned for it. But because it worked, he's a genius. And so, you know, you, you look at that one play specifically where CJ Stroud got strip sacked and, and Luke Whipler makes the fumble to save the day. I do think it's absolutely valid to question why was Ohio State passing the ball in that situation? Because your only real goal there is to run the clock out. And, and so they didn't need to pass the ball there. I don't personally, I think they should have run the ball there. I personally, I don't, I don't think they should have passed the ball in that situation. That being said, Ryan day and Kevin Wilson made the point on Tuesday that Chris Olave was, was getting open on that play. And if they had the pass protection and Stroud hits Olave, that could be a touchdown. And then the game's over. And so, again, it, it's so easy to second guess these things after the fact. I do think that by and large, Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson are outstanding offensive play callers. Again, I we, we've talked about it before on the show. I, I I try not to question, you know, fans. It's like after after every time a game's going poorly, it's like all all my mentions in Twitter. It's like. Ask, ask Day what the hell he's doing with the play calling. Well, Ryan Day knows – Ryan Day has forgotten way more about play calling than I know about play calling. So, like, I, I get it. I get, like, the frustration from the fans, but it's like – unless there's, like, something really specific I can own in on, I'm probably not going to ask that question because I, I just don't – I don't know. Like, I, I, I trust that Ryan Day knows more about play calling than I do. And so – you know, do I, do I think you can look at the game on, on Saturday and say, you know, there were some questionable things, you know, maybe he got, you know, too cute at times. I, I think that's probably fair, but I also think that Ryan day knows what he's doing as a coach. And I think we've seen his aggressive nature work well before in this, in this scenario, it just didn't. I think one thing that is clear is that for some of Ryan Day's downfield pass attack play calling to work better, Ohio State is going to need the the run game to be more serviceable for the Buckeyes going forward. And St. Louis Buckeye 15, one of our forum posters, asks us, do you expect to see significant improvement in the run game going forward with only three games left in the season, all big ones? How realistically would that be? Now, we've seen the, the run game be successful. We've seen it be less successful. We've sometimes seen it be feast or famine where if Ohio State sticks with it all game, eventually Travion Henderson is going to bust a 60, 70 yard run. I think it is somewhat concerning that the run game has been trending downwards as of late when Ohio State's going into these huge big 10 games at the end of the season. However, I tend to personally think that Travion Henderson is going to bust one eventually, as long as Ohio State is able to stick with the run. We were saying that even against Nebraska, it never really happened in that game. But that was really the only game that we haven't seen that happen at some point. But exactly what the run game is going to look like down the stretch, I think is going to be a huge X factor for the Ohio State offense down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely valid concerns about the run game right now because we have seen two games in a row where Ohio State has struggled to move the ball consistently. They've struggled to stay ahead of schedule with those runs. But at the same time, we did see earlier in the season that, you know, this was an offensive line that could open up massive holes. And we've certainly seen that Travion Henderson is a home run threat every time the ball is in his hands. And so 
I don't think we're going to see Ohio State suddenly get stopped and held to under 100 rushing yards every game. I think I think we're going to see some better rushing performances down the stretch here. Do I necessarily think that they're going to be in elite rushing offense down the stretch? I don't know about that. Probably not. But I do think they're going to get better. You know, I think I, I think one of the big questions that I have is whether this offensive line rotation that they keep going with is really what's best for the offensive line. I know Kyle Jones wrote about this on the site on Monday, how, you know, you look at these six guys we're playing. I I don't think any of them individually have been bad or a clear weak link or anything like that. But I do think it's a valid question of, okay, is playing Thayer Munford and Paris Johnson at guard really what's best for an offense when you're trying to run the ball or is rotating Matt Jones in and out of a lineup all game, really what's best for, for this offensive line. Ryan day was asked about it on Tuesday and, and he didn't seem concerned that the best five was that not having a set best five was preventing the offensive line from playing well, but I do question that a little bit that, you know, our, you don't usually see rotation on the offensive line. So is this moving guys around all the time, maybe leading to some of the issues we've seen here with the offensive line over the last couple of weeks? That was a question. Once Ohio state opted for that lineup with the, the all tackle lineup, there was okay. That's all well and good. Cause we've got these huge guys the, the pass protection should be great for Ohio state, but what about the run game? because those guys haven't played guard before all that much, to be honest. And so that was always a question about what's the the interior play going to be like. I think it's surprising still to see that the run game hasn't been good with those guys because you kind of just assumed, okay, you move those guys inside and Ohio State's still going to do what it usually does in the run game. But, I mean, Kevin Wilson even said on Tuesday that he does believe that you can be too tall for a position as an offensive lineman, and, and that could be part of what we're seeing, the leverage. I mean, Thayer Munford talked about how it's just different because the guys inside are, are bigger, stronger guys, whereas the, the the guys on the outside that he would usually be blocking in the pass game are these longer, slightly lighter athletes uh, in terms of edge rushers. But uh, Kentucky asks a part of that, a, a follow-up about the run game in the offensive line, is there some tangible reason apart from improve, improved opposing defenses that suddenly the offensive line appears to be struggling mightily in run blocking? I don't have a good answer for that, honestly. I mean, we, we, like I said, we've seen them be good and we've seen them be bad. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure what to, how to diagnose that really. Yeah, I really don't either because I think all these guys are really talented. I mean, I look at a guy like Nicholas Petit Frere, like I thought he was elite for the first seven games of a season. I think the last two games, I don't think he's been that great. Uh, Ryan Day did reveal after the game on Saturday that, Nick had missed some practice time during the week. I remember during the Penn State game, we saw him come out of a game briefly, and it looked like he had to have his hand or wrist taped up. So I don't know if maybe he's playing with an injury there, if it's maybe impacted his play a little bit. So, you know, that's one thing that I look at in, in terms of, okay, a guy that I think was playing really excellent football hasn't been playing excellent football the last couple of weeks. I mean, if you look at the grades that pro football focus does uh, that would reflect that for uh, Nick Petit Frere. And I, I do, I, again, I, I do kind of go back to, you know, just the question of, okay, if, you know, moving these guys around using all these different lineups, if they just, if they need to settle in on a best five and based on the way Ryan day answered Tuesday, I don't necessarily expect to see that happening, but he also did make the point on Saturday that some of the shuffling they were doing on the offensive line, wasn't by choice, but by necessity. And so I think all the, the pieces are there. I, I don't expect to see any drastic changes at this point. Like I know somebody asked about, you know, whether we'd see Harry Miller on the offensive line at some point this year. I don't think so based, based on the fact that you know, he's only played in two games this year, very sparingly. I think the chances of him contributing in a meaningful way this year are, are probably pretty slim at this point. You know, I don't, I don't really see any of Fay or Munford or Nick Petit Frere or Dewan Jones or, or even Paris Johnson getting benched. And so 
I think we're probably going to see things pretty similar to what we've seen here over the last five weeks. But if they're going to do that, then certainly they're going to need to execute better than they have. Minbuck asks us, we've kind of already talked about it, is the lack of commitment to the run game more of a product of Coach Day not having faith in the team's running ability or that he always prefers the pass? I think the answer there is that, well, A, he does prefer the pass, but also, like you said, just the, the fact that the team's been struggling to get yardage in the run game means that he's even going to be more pass heavy. I don't know if we have much else to talk about with that. Dan, let's let's, let's move over to the defense a little bit here because we were asked by, by Sobchak34. With the defense surging and the offense taking a step back, do you see any point where this team's defense becomes the strength? I actually feel like the last couple of games, in terms of what I've been writing after the games, I've kind of focused more on the negatives with the offense, but there's definitely been opportunity to, to focus more on the positives with the defense because they've held teams to low scoring outputs in these games recently. And even though Ohio State gave up a, a couple of big, big plays to Nebraska, holding them to 17 points, that's pretty good. And, and just on the field in general, there were definitely some positives to talk about on defense. Yeah, I'm still not ready to go there with the defense being the strength. But I think the fact that this question can even be asked is pretty striking compared to where we were two months ago, where when we were talking about this team after the first couple games, and I mean, even two weeks ago, I think if we were having this conversation, we're talking about, well, we don't know how good the defense is, but this offense feels like it can outscore just about anybody. Now we're starting to have those questions about, okay, can this offense really outscore anybody? But the defense is showing it's capable of doing enough for Ohio state to win low scoring games. And so I'm still not ready to go there, but defense is a strength because for one, I, I still really don't feel like we've seen this defense against really elite units. And, you know, even, even in the Nebraska game, they did play well. They also did give up two big plays through the air. I know another question that we were asked that, you know, we were going to get to in the Purdue section, but, you know, Samaic made the point about how Ohio State's defensive changes have certainly tightened up the opposing running game, but that's led to some gaps in the passing game. And I, and I would agree with that. I think, you know, when we were talking the first couple weeks of a year, like Ohio State's run defense was awful in the first couple games. Since then, Ohio State's run defense has been great. I mean, they've they've been pretty much dominant ever since then. But the passing defense hasn't been excellent. I still think the passing defense is certainly better than it was last year. I think specifically the cornerback play is a lot better than it was last year. But I still think that I still think this pass defense. Uh, has some issues, you know, I think, you know, safety play remains a bit of a concern. Linebacker remains a concern. So I still, you know, I still don't, I, I would still say this. If Ohio state has to rely on its defense to win him a college football playoff, I don't think that's going to be a recipe for success. I don't, I don't think this defense is good enough, but in the biggest games of the year, Ohio state is going to be able to grind it out and win low scoring games. I I'm not, I'm not ready to go there. I think, I think Ohio state in those kind of games is going to have to be able to be a lot more efficient on offense than it's been in the last couple of weeks. But I think what you can say is, is encouraging is that, you know, I think, I think coming out of the Oregon game, like I think we were probably both in the place where we felt like, okay, when this team plays any any offense with a pulse, like it's going to be a shootout, and, and they're going to have to score a ton of points to have any chance to win. I, I think now the defense is showing, okay, you know, it, it it's it's competitive. It, it it can limit opponents, and so their offense doesn't need to be perfect for them to win big games, but it is going to have to be better than it's been the last two weeks. Let's touch on a, a couple of specific defensive highlights for Ohio State from that Nebraska game. One real revelation for Ohio State in recent games has been the play of Tyreek Smith, who at the midway point in the season, he had no sacks. Him and Zach Harrison, those are two guys that we were pointing to saying, those guys have got to step up. Those guys are expected to be the two best defensive ends for this team, even with the, the five-star talent they've got with some of the young guys. 
But Tyreek Smith has absolutely responded. He's had a sack in the last three games. He batted down a pass against Nebraska. Fans are posting clips of all these should have been holding calls. Tyreek Smith is saying that he's a little bit annoyed not getting some of those calls too. So maybe he could he, he could have even more of an impact as well on defense for Ohio State. Yeah, Tyreek Smith has been fantastic in the last three games. So I, I'm definitely glad you brought that up because you know, to be honest, you know I've been kind of a guy on, on, on Tyreek Smith the last couple of years that I, I had kind of felt was overhyped at times because we really hadn't seen it. On, on the field, you know, you know, you, I was reading talk about this is a guy who could be an early round NFL draft pick, and we just weren't seeing that kind of production. But I think in these last three games, we've really seen Tyreek Smith become the player that he's been supposed to be. I mean, he's like you said, I mean, he's had three sacks in a row here, and he's probably been held about 10 times it hasn't been called. So he, he's been playing fantastic football. I think Zach Harrison has taken a step too. And I think we've seen those guys finally really start to show themselves as the elite defensive end pairing that they're supposed to be. And I think you see it in the snap counts the last couple of weeks where those guys have been on the field the majority of the game. So, you know, we've seen some good flashes from Jack Sawyer. We've seen some good flashes from JT Tuimolowau and even Javante Jean-Baptiste. But I, I think Smith and Harrison have started to establish themselves as those veteran guys who are supposed to be leading the defensive line and, and Tyreek Smith, especially I've been really impressed by what we've seen the last few games. Steel chambers starts the second half at linebacker for Ohio state. Dan, how much do you think that was just the fact that he didn't get to play in the first half because of the targeting call? And so maybe they're trying to get him in there earlier, or do you think he actually will be one of the two starting linebackers moving forward for Ohio state? I think he will. I, I think, I think I think Steel Chambers is going to be starting at linebacker this weekend against Purdue, and you know maybe that depends on Taraja Mitchell's health. Ryan Day indicated on Tuesday that Taraja was battling a minor injury, and that's why he didn't play a lot against Purdue or against Nebraska. Excuse me, but to me, it, it, it's felt fairly obvious for a while now that. Steel Chambers is the best linebacker on this team. You know, if if at least he's he's the best playmaker they have in that unit, and he certainly seems to have the most upside of the guys that are playing right now. And so, uh, to me, you know, he he's the guy that should be out there the most at that will linebacker spot. I, I think he's the best guy they have there right now. I think. There are things that Taraja Mitchell does well, you know, especially, you know, playing the run, playing in the box. But I think as we see teams continue to attack the middle of the field on this Ohio State defense, I think Steele's a guy that's got more athleticism, that's playing faster, that is the kind of guy that they need in there and that will linebacker spot alongside Cody Simon at Mike linebacker. And I will say, too, I thought we saw some good things from Pauline Ateote in the first half of that game against Nebraska while Steel Chambers was out. I don't think he played at all in the second half after Chambers came back, but I'm interested to see if they start giving Nayoteote more chances to play because Saturday was really the first time that we've seen him see extensive playing time in the base defense, and I liked what I saw. Dan, it's kind of shocking that we've already touched on Noah Ruggles in this podcast before we've even mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba, who broke an all-time single-game Record for Ohio State against Nebraska with 15 catches, breaking David Boston's record set in 1997 of 14 catches in a single game. JSN also had 240 yards, the second most ever by a wide receiver in, not necessarily a wide receiver, but just receiving yards in Ohio State game. He had a huge game, but it's almost overshadowed by the fact that it was such a weird, sluggish performance from the Ohio State offense other than that. Yeah, I think we're well overdue into this podcast to be talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba because... That was a phenomenal performance. Uh, that 75-yard touchdown that he had was an excellent play, certainly with a assist credited to Chris Olave for some great blocking, but uh, Smith and Jigba making an excellent cut and then outrunning the defense. He, he's become a legitimate star. You know, I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson have gotten so much of a hype in this receiving core, but right now, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you, you made the point the other day that he's actually now gained more 
yards in a season than Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson ever has. Now, the, the pandemic last year had a lot to do with that, but Smith and Jigba is a legitimate star, and we're seeing why this is a guy that they put in the starting lineup this year. This is why they decided he needed to start over Jamison Williams while we've seen Jamison Williams go be a star at Alabama because Jackson Smith and Jigba is a, a fantastic player. He's had a fantastic season. And with Garrett Wilson being out on Saturday, they needed him more than ever. And he was clearly the go-to guy for CJ Stroud. A couple last things here from the Nebraska game. Obviously with, with Garrett Wilson being out, we were wondering, are we going to see Marvin Harrison Jr. get the start? Could Abuka get the start? We actually see Julian Fleming get the start despite not playing really any actual offensive snaps in the last several games. He's been banged up a bit this year. He almost had a great toe tap catch on the sideline. I think some people thought that it was actually a catch. It was not ruled one in the end. I asked Ryan Day what he thought about Julian Fleming's performance. He kind of just lumped Fleming and and Harrison in the same category and said they both have a bright future. It definitely wasn't a a breakout starring performance or anything like that. What did you see from, from Fleming in that start, Dan? Yeah, I thought it was an encouraging performance from a guy who we really hadn't seen play much at all this year. I thought, you know, made a couple nice plays, like you said. I think he, I think that probably was a catch on the sideline, even though it wasn't ruled a catch. Still a great effort from Julian Fleming. So I, I thought, you know, a, a promising game for him. Do I think it was a game that's going to force him to get snaps over Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or Jackson Smith and Jigba? Probably not. But I think if you're looking toward the future of what this receiving core could be without Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson next year, I think you know that's the kind of game, you know, even just those couple plays, he, he earned champion honors from the Ohio State coaching staff. I think that's something we needed to see from him because up until Saturday, we really hadn't seen much from him at all because of injuries for the most part. Let's move on to some Purdue talk, Dan. Obviously, the, the, the spoiler makers, right? We have yes. to call them that because two top three upset wins this season. And even before this season, Purdue was always thought of as a team that could knock off a very highly ranked team. You don't have to remind Ohio State fans of that, of course. Just back in 2018 alone, Purdue knocked off Ohio State when they were number two in the country. Now Purdue's fresh off of a, an upset win over Michigan State, who was really riding high into that game, which I think is why a lot of us were actually circling that game as a potential upset game because it's just such classic Purdue there. Purdue has one of the best passing offenses in the country, eighth best in the FBS. There's only two spots behind Ohio State's own, which is pretty surprising. Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback, had over 500 yards against Michigan State last week. David Bell is one of the best receivers in the country. He had over 200 yards. David Bell in the two upset wins has actually had 200 yards in both of those games. So you would think his success would be a big part of if the Boilermakers can actually knock off Ohio State. Yeah, I feel like spoiler makers is very quickly going from being like clever nickname to like extremely overused. So I think by the end of a week, everyone's going to be sick of hearing that. But it is a fun nickname for Purdue, which as we've seen, this team just has a knack for when they're playing top competition, they they rise to the level of their competition and they get upset wins. So if anyone was sleeping on this game, don't sleep on it because this team has already proven twice this year that it it can beat teams. It's not supposed to beat, And so Ohio state needs to take this game very seriously. And I think the passing offense that Purdue has is a lot to do with facts. I think this is uh, certainly going to be one of the best passing offenses. Ohio state is faced all year. Aiden O'Connell is a guy. I, I believe he started his Purdue career as a walk on, but he's playing really good football right now. David Bell is one of the best receivers, not only in the Big Ten, but in the entire country. I know he already has over a thousand yards this year. So uh, he's going to be a guy that's certainly going to test their secondary with his playmaking ability. And then it's a Purdue team that's got a really strong defense, too. You look at them right now, they're ranked in the top 30 in both scoring defense and total defense. They're ranked 15th in the country against the pass. So this is a another defense that's gonna they're gonna force Ohio State to get things going running the ball because they're not gonna make it as easy to pass the ball as it's been for Ohio State and and some of its other games and so this is gonna be a challenge for Ohio State on 
on both sides of the ball. I don't, I don't think anything's going to come easy for Ohio state in this game. I think if you're looking for one thing that's encouraging for Ohio state, it's that Purdue literally ranks last in the country in rushing yards per carry with only 2.39 rushing yards per attempt. And so I think Ohio state should be able to certainly shut down Purdue in the running game. And this is going to be a matter of two things. One, how well can Ohio state's pass defense hold up? And then two, can the offense hit its stride again and get back to the groove it was in a couple weeks ago? We've talked a few times on this podcast about how certain matchups for Ohio state, like a team that doesn't have a very explosive offense, but might have a, a good defense and how we think that that's probably, even if that team seems pretty good, that seems like a kind of a favorable matchup for Ohio state, right? Purdue is actually kind of the other pendulum of that. They did. They do have a good defense, but the run game is so bad. That's already something that Ohio state's great at. So those things kind of cancel out there. And then the, the great pass game of Purdue, that could just be a big threat for Ohio state and possibly something of a bad matchup for the Buckeyes. Now we'll see how it plays out in the end, but this is one of those games you're like, okay, now this could be a test stylistically just based on what the Purdue offense does. Well, now Ohio state's going to enter as a 20 point favorite. That seems a little bit high to me, Dan, that, 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 that seems a little bit high just based on the last two performances we've seen out of Ohio state where they've only beaten teams by single digits. I am personally going to go with the under on that one because based on the last two performances from Ohio state, I'm a little gun shy on predicting one of these, a blowout in this game. I'm thinking something like a, a 10 point win for Ohio state, something like a, tw- a 33, 23, something in that neighborhood. But I, I might change that by a point or two here when I have to give my final score prediction for 11 warriors this week. Yeah. This is one of those games, you know, it's kind of like when we talked about like Oregon earlier in the year, it's one of those games where there's a wide range of outcomes that really wouldn't shock me. Like Purdue could win this game. Like I'm, I'm definitely not ruling out Purdue winning in this game. I'm definitely not ruling out this being another one or two score game. I, I think Purdue has proven that it's capable of those kind of games. That being said, Vegas doesn't seem to be buying the upset here. Cause if you looked at the spreads before both those Iowa and Michigan state games, I think Purdue might even been a favorite at one point against Iowa. I know in both cases, the spreads were very close to where Vegas was trying to get people to, to bet on Iowa and Michigan state because there are a lot of people who saw those upsets coming. In this case, the spread opened at 19 points and it's moved up to 20. And so the the betting population here doesn't seem to see an upset coming. And I don't either because I, you know, one thing we've typically seen from the past from Purdue is usually when they have one of these big upset wins, they usually don't play as well the next week. And I do think Ohio State's offense is going to bounce back to some extent this week. I, I don't think we're going to see them pour 50-plus points on Purdue, and I do think Purdue is going to be able to make some plays through the air on offense. But I'm, I'm going to go for a score prediction of Ohio State 41, Purdue 23. I'm not quite going to take the cover because I I do think the spread's a little bit higher than it should be, but I'm going to, I'm going to say that I do think Ohio state wins this game a little bit more convincingly than the last two games. I'll just throw this out there too, before we move on to a CFP rankings talk, we're just hyping up the, the Purdue pass offense a lot, but Purdue hasn't exactly been like a super high scoring team. So that's why we're both predicting something in the mid twenties for them. Because they, they haven't, despite the fact that they put up a lot of yards on in the past game, they haven't exactly scored 40 points a game or anything like that, usually, even though they did score 40 against Michigan State. New CFP rankings came out on Tuesday. Don't think we really need to talk much about those because Ohio State is now ranked fourth in the top four. If the season ended right now, Ohio State would be in the playoff. But 
realistically, nothing has changed for the Buckeyes. They were already in position to make it if they won out. That hasn't changed. Michigan State, even with the loss and dropping out of a top four, they're still going to be playing for a playoff berth when they play Ohio State next week, unless they lose to Maryland this week. Same thing goes to Michigan. If Michigan doesn't lose in the next two weeks, they're going to be playing for a college football playoff berth when they play Ohio State. As we just talked about, Purdue, they're, they're ranked 19th now in the CFP ranking. So the only thing that's really changed for Ohio State is that all three of its last opponents to end the regular season now are ranked in the top 20. So that illustrates right there just how challenging this stretch is for Ohio State and how Ohio State really needs to play its best football week in and week out if it is going to win out, if it is going to get to the Big Ten Championship game, if it is going to keep its college football playoff hopes alive. With that being said, I, you know, the one thing I feel like I got a comment on is just the ridiculousness of this committee in ranking Michigan state behind Michigan right now, because Gary Barta comes out last week and essentially says the reason why Oregon is ranked ahead of Ohio state is because Oregon beat Ohio state, which I agree with. Like, I think Oregon should be ranked ahead of Ohio state. They both have identical records. Oregon beat Ohio state on the field. This week, they they moved Michigan ahead of Michigan State, and basically it's, well, the committee thinks Michigan is a more complete team. To me, it's like, it's just, there's got to be some consistency in the criteria applied here, right? Like, I know it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's going to work itself out because Michigan State still has the head-to-head tiebreaker of a Big Ten standings over Michigan. So if both teams were to beat Ohio State and win out, Michigan State would go to the Big Ten Championship game. And if Michigan State wins the Big Ten Championship game, they'd be in line ahead of Michigan to make the college ball playoff. But it's like, can we just get a little bit of consistency from the committee? Can can there be some transparency about what criteria actually determine the way you, you make these rankings? Because I, I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, but when I see those rankings last night, I, I really do look at it and go, they're, they're just, they're just doing this to stir up drama, aren't they? Because it, it, there's no, there's no logic to it. It's, it's just, it really does feel like they had to move Michigan above Michigan state because otherwise there would have been nothing to talk about last night. So it's like, they, they have to do something controversial every week just to give people a reason, a reason to talk. And honestly, it's, it, it just makes me clamor even more for a future where there's a 12 team playoff and automatic bids for conference champions. So that these rankings don't become as important as they are right now. It really boils down to the same question. Like you said, with the Ohio state Oregon thing where it's like, okay, one team has the head to head win over the other. They both have one loss, but one team's loss is much worse than the other team's loss. Right. So that's why just splitting hairs on that becomes a bit tricky. And there's no perfect answer on that. It's interesting to see, like you said, a couple of those other Big Ten teams moving up in the rankings now. Purdue with those two big wins. Now is a top 20 team Ohio State is going to be playing this week after not being ranked last week. And a team like Wisconsin as well at, at, at 18, a team that Ohio State still could potentially see at the end of the season. And so th- those are some interesting things there. Interesting to also see the committee sticking with not dropping Michigan State under an undefeated Oklahoma team still. So they're holding fast on that, obviously. But yeah, other than that, I'm not sure I've got many other takeaways from the CFP rankings at this stage. Ohio State's already at number four. We said things were going to happen. They were probably going to move up if they continue to win games. We've already seen that happen one week later. And it feels like with what they did last night, the committee setting itself up to move Ohio State ahead of Oregon here. I think, you know, I think I saw Tony Gerdeman might have made the point last night of how it felt like if Ohio State had blown out Nebraska, they'd already be ahead of Oregon. So if we're talking next week about if Ohio State can take care of business against Purdue and get another ranked win, if we're talking about Ohio State being ahead of Oregon next week, that that wouldn't surprise me if if that's something that happens here if a committee and gives Ohio State even more cushion in terms of rankings. 
not necessarily in terms of actually winning these games, Bo. And that leads to our next question from Ohio against the World 34 of what is the percentage chance that Ohio State can win the next four games? Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan, and Big Ten championship game. He put it at around 88%. Another listener, Daniel, agreed with him. Feels a little bit high to me, Griffin. Uh, <laughs> I do appreciate the optimism considering uh, the amount of pessimism there seems to be sometimes in the Ohio State fan base, but 88% feels a little bit high to me. Like I, I've said it before. We, 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 I've said it every single week when we have this conversation. Like I am still picking Ohio State to win the rest of its games and make the college ball playoff. Like right now that is where I'm at. I don't know, but I'm at 88% though. I I think I'm probably more at like 60% right now because we're talking about three more games against top 20 teams, two of which are ranked in the top seven right now, plus a big 10 championship game. And we've seen Ohio state have some struggles here in the last two games. So I really do think Ohio state needs to play its best football over the next month. If it's going to get through this stretch. And so I am still predicting that it's going to happen, but my confidence meter isn't in 8.8 out of 10 level. How about you? I'll go, I'll go, I'll go 70%. I'll go a little higher than, than your percentage. I mean, hundred percent of your predictions in those games will be in favor of Ohio state, right. at least as it stands right now. But like you said, that's why I'm a little bit cautious about this Purdue game, because it kind of feels like one of those things where the bubble could just kind of burst for Ohio state after having these, some of these less than desirable performances against teams that I predicted Ohio state to blow out in each of the past two weeks now. And so, yeah, I'm probably going to go with 70%, even though, like we said, I would still predict Ohio state to win all these games, but it, it's going to be a daunting task for sure. Next question here from, from Buckeye Trap in the South. This is an interesting one, Dan. And I think a lot of people were even speculating about this at the time last year when Chris Olave decided to come back for another season for Ohio State. Buckeye Trap in the South asks, has, has Chris Olave helped or hurt his draft stock with his play this season? I think some people probably thought, how much could he actually improve his draft stock? Because we've already seen so much from him in the last several years. And now this year, he hasn't gotten quite as many, not targets, but reception. He hasn't gotten as many receptions, I think, as we thought he would get in some of these games. He's only having two catches and stuff like that. Do you think he's helped or hurt his stock this year, Dan? I think I'd probably say it's a push. I don't know that I, I don't know that I think he's done anything to hurt his draft stock. You know, I think one thing that, you know, I had pointed out early in the year that I, I thought we saw more from Chris Olave early in the year was him making more plays in space doing more things, you know, with the ball in his hands of the open field. And I, I felt like that was something we saw more early this season that than we had seen in previous years. And so I think that film is good for him in terms of showing him to be a more uh, complete receiver. I don't feel like we've seen as much of that in recent weeks, Bo. I feel like we've in recent weeks, we've seen more of, you know, what we've seen from him in the past, more of, you know, hit, hitting big plays, on deep shots downfield, but I don't know if we've seen quite as much of the open field playmaking ability as we had early in the year. And so I I think he's about where he was. You know, I I felt like coming into this year, but he's probably a mid to late first round draft pick. And I think he's still in that range. I, I don't think he's had the kind of year that he needed to have to, you know, make himself that top 10 pick, you know, that does Devante Smith kind of year that could really, vault him up. I don't, I don't think we've seen that, but I also don't look at it and say, you know, I think there's anything that's really hurt him. I mean, I think he probably has gotten physically stronger than he was a year ago, which is important. He, you know, he had issues with fumbles last year. I don't believe he's had any this year. And so I think there's a chance he's slightly helped himself, but I I don't, I don't think that he's, you know, made some big jump to where, you know, he's, separated himself from the pack. But, you know, I think you looked at last year's draft and last year's draft was a really loaded wide receiver draft. I think this year's draft is a really strong wide receiver draft too. And so I don't think, I don't think coming back is going to lead to him being drafted any later than he would have been last year. But I think he probably needs a big finish if he's going to really 
you know, assert himself as that top 10, top 15 pick. It's interesting because I've said this before. I was saying this to one of my friends, like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson always seem to just stop short of having that huge 200 plus yard game that like we saw from Jackson Smith and Jigbo over the past weekend. Like, I think one of those games, or, or if Alave had had two or three of those crazy, you know, a David Bell game, something like that, then that might have helped to boost him into that next kind of tier like you're talking about. But we certainly haven't seen him do anything to hurt his stock. But yeah, we just haven't seen those those huge games that have kind of eluded him. I'll say this. I think I think all three starting receivers at Ohio State right now are going to be first round NFL draft picks in the next two years. Is it a bold claim from Dan Hope? I don't know. It seems pretty pretty reasonable to me. But Dan, let's get in, let's change gears here and talk about what we saw on Tuesday night, which was the Ohio State basketball season opener, the number 17 ranked Buckeyes. Chris Holman was calling this game the hardest home opener Ohio State's had in his tenure at Ohio State. I was kind of rolling my eyes at that statement because I was thinking, I don't know, I kind of feel like Ohio State should still win this game by double digits. It turns out I was wrong. Chris Holman was right. Chris Holman going up against his Taylor University college teammate, John Gross, the Akron head coach. Gave Ohio State all they could handle last night, or on Tuesday night, I should say. And Zed Kia to hit a game-winning layup on an assist from Malachi Branham in, with 0.3 seconds left on the clock, I believe, in order to win the game by one point, Dan. Were you expecting that type of scare for the Buckeyes in game one? No, not to that extent. You know, I know we had talked about it a little bit earlier in the day that you know, this could be a tough game. I did feel like, I think the spread was like 17 points. I felt like that was maybe a little bit high, but... To have this game come down to the literal last second, that I did not expect. And certainly, you know, that's probably not what you want to see from Ohio State in in that game. You know, I think injuries played a factor in that. They did not have Kyle Young. It was pretty clear that Justice Suing is not fully healthy right now and that he's going to need a little bit of time to, to work his way back to where he really should be. And so I think those were factors in Ohio State not being able to ever pull away in this game. But it's basketball. You know, I mean, it, it, it's basketball. I mean, I know people like to agonize over every little thing in football, but I think in basketball especially, you know, it's it's a long season. I think making any generalizations or extreme overreactions to one game is, is probably not wise, but uh, certainly you can see that this is a, a team that has some work to do, that is a, is a work in progress. And I think, you know, probably the biggest thing that stands out is EJ Liddell had 25 points, but when he was not, you know, there was a stretch there in the second half where he was not on the floor for a, about five minutes because he had gotten his third foul. And when he was not on the floor, they really struggled to score the ball without him. So uh, the good news is he had fouled out before that last play and, and they drew up a play that led to the game winning basket. And I got to tell you, Griffin, I feel pretty good, that you let me get Malachi Branham and Zed key with the fourth and fifth picks in our draft last week, because watching that game on Tuesday night, I felt like, they are the second and third best players on this team behind EJ Liddell. I can't argue with that right now. I mean, the, th- the thing that was keeping me away from Brandon was just that we just don't know because he's a freshman. You never know. Is he going to come in and, and make an impact right away? Well, the answer to that, I guess, is yes, because he hit a huge three in the second half. He had a really nice runner off the glass in the final 90 seconds of the game. And he had the game winning assist in the game. I mean, he did a lot of really good things, even though he didn't put up huge numbers statistically per se. But yeah, I think if we if we did that draft, after the results of what we just saw on Tuesday night, they would probably be a little bit differently. But also I think if people could now go back and vote again for the winner in that draft, the, the results would probably be a landslide more of a landslide in your direction. I will say one, one guy that, that was a bit disappointing for me and a guy that I drafted was Michi Johnson because he was a guy that looked so aggressive on offense, really looked like he had taken the next step from last year in that exhibition game against Indianapolis, had a big game on offense. He looked a little bit, his handle looked a little bit loose in that game. He looked like he was a little bit jittery, which you can expect that from a, from a guy the first game in the season, especially stepping into a bigger role, starting for Ohio State as well. But he didn't look himself. I think guys like him and Suing, they're going to get they're going to improve as the season goes on. Even a guy like Cedric Russell 
even though he didn't play very much at all for Ohio State, he's a guy, too, that could come on strong, possibly in the latter half of the season for Ohio State. Yeah, I think the thing, one of the things I had wondered going into this game was would we see Malachi Branham handle the ball much and run the point much, or would they mostly play him off the ball and rely on Jabari Wheeler and Michi Johnson to run the point? And just based on the way that game ended, I think we could see Malachi Branham play a lot of point this year. I think we could see Malachi Branham being the primary ball handler on this team a good amount this year. Cause I thought he did a really good job passing the ball, uh, you know, making plays, you know, both as a scorer and as a, as a passer. I mean, he only had seven points. I don't want to over over hype his first game, but he didn't, he didn't look the moment did not look too big for him for a freshman playing in his first game at Ohio state. He didn't look like that. He, he looked like a guy who was ready for the moment and played with a veteran presence. And so I was really impressed by what we saw from Malachi Branham in his first game. Certainly was very impressed by, you know, what we saw from Zed key, who I think is looks like a guy who's really ready to take that next step and become a, a primary player on this team. And another guy we got to give some love to because we, we, we were not exactly kind to him on last week's podcast. How about Joey Brunk? getting a couple nice baskets there in the first half. We got to give him some credit because we were a little bit mean to Joey Brunk last week after his uh, no point five foul effort in the exhibition, but he he made, he made a couple nice post moves there. You didn't see him get a lot of minutes. And I don't think, I don't think we should ever really expect to see him get a ton of minutes, but he showed us glimpses of why they brought him in to be that backup center and, and how he could be a guy that helps them this year. That was, that was what I was expecting Joey Brunk to bring to this team. That's why I was kind of surprised in the exhibition game. I was like, man, this guy doesn't look very strong with the basketball around the hoop. Like That was like the number one thing I thought he would bring is a guy that could potentially score on a nice jump hook in the post as a guy that's had a lot of experience in the game to, to kind of hone his offensive repertoire. That's what I was expecting, to see, and that's exactly what he did. He scored on two nice jump hooks. Even had a spin move on one of the lane. I was like, wow, Joey Brunk is showing me something here. But yeah, I think I think – it's just, it really comes down to this. I say they're going to have to have somebody to score other than EJ Liddell, because if you're starting Michi Johnson and Jamari Wheeler in the backcourt, if Michi Johnson's not scoring, which he did not do a whole lot last night, Jamari Wheeler's not going to give you a whole lot of offense. So you're going to need guys to step up. And I think that's going to provide an opportunity for a guy like Malachi Branham to have a bigger role on this offense right away. As we speak here on Wednesday afternoon, Ohio State's five members of its 2022 recruiting class are signing their national letters of intent to become Buckeyes. Bruce Fortin, Felix Oxpara, Roddy Gale, Bryce Sensabaugh, and Bowen Hardman. The highest ranked recruiting class that Chris Holtman has ever signed at Ohio State, currently ranked sixth in the class of 2022. Griffin, you, you followed this a lot more closely than I have. What makes this class of guys potentially special? Well, first of all, you look at it, it's the biggest class Chris Holtman has signed because like we've talked about before, there's eight scholarship seniors on this current Ohio State team, which means there's going to be a lot of minutes to be had next year for Ohio State. So that's why it was so crucial that this class be a really special one for Chris Holman. And he really did deliver because it's got five guys. Four of them are top 75 prospects, four four-star prospects out of those five guys. And it's a fact that if you look at this, this is like a this is like a five, an actual lineup you could play in a game. Like you could plug them in right now because it's the one, two, three, four, five, basically. Bruce Thornton is the the crown jewel of the class pretty much. I think he's a, a top 40, fringe top 40 player in the class. He's a point guard. He's a guy that after Jamari Wheeler leaves the program, he's going to be the point guard of the future for Ohio State right away, I believe. And then Felix Okpara, I think that's a big signing for Ohio State because we're talking about a team that for the last couple of years, since Caleb Wesson has been out of the program, we've been wondering when is the next special big going to enter the program for Ohio State? Because You've got Zed Key right now is like a 6'8 guy who, you know, Zed Key's great. He, he looks phenomenal right now, but he's only a 6'8 guy trying to play center in the Big Ten where there's Kofi Coburn is a monstrosity of a man. And you've got to have a guy playing center for Ohio State that can do a little bit more maybe and play a little bit more than a Joey Brunk. And, and Felix Akpura, he's a 6'11 guy who, who blocks every shot that's attempted and, and is a really athletic guy. And, and that, that I think is a real 
X factor for this class for Ohio State, the fact that they're bringing in a highly rated big like that. I got to talk to, to Bryce Sensabaugh's high school coach in, in depth. His game is really interesting. He was the, the last guy, the, the final guy in this class. I believe he's the number 74, 75 player in the class. His recruiting really took a rise late, late in his recruitment because he had a knee injury that cost him a whole year of, of high school basketball. But that's a guy, I think he's 6'6", 240. So he's kind of built almost like an EJ Liddell He's a guy that can can possibly guard some power forwards and, and be a front court player defensively for Ohio State, but then on offense, this guy's got a a guard skill set in terms of a perimeter offensive game that that EJ Liddell did not have coming in. So his that that blend is really an interesting one for Ohio State, and, and I'm very curious to see what he's going to be able to do right away, especially considering guys like EJ Liddell. We assume Justice Suing, Justice Arns, a lot of these wings that Ohio State has right now are going to be leaving the, after the season. Lots to talk about again on this week's show. Uh, that's November for you. Football's going on. Basketball's going on. College ball playoff rankings are going on. Always a lot to talk about. Next week will be no different as uh, we'll look back at another big game for the football ball guys this week against Purdue and then preview a, a really big game next week against Michigan State. So thanks as always for listening in and we'll catch you again soon.